If you browse winning tournament lineups, you'll see at least one pair of teammates in almost every one. Stacking or pairing players in the same game whose production is correlated is key to successful lineup construction. Stacking in daily fantasy football is probably the most straightforward of all the sports. Your goal is to find the most valuable combination of players on the same team. That could be quarterback wide receiver, quarterback tight end, running back defense, or even quarterback wide receiver and tight end. Stacking in fantasy football can give you a huge edge over your opponents. From my experience, a quarterback paired with his wide receiver one is by far the strongest correlated stack. Quarterbacks with their wide receiver two and quarterbacks with tight end one are tied for the second strongest correlated stack. There is some positive correlation between running back one and the team defense, but it's low compared to the quarterback wide receiver one stack. So I wouldn't suggest that be a roster building strategy, but instead try to pair a running back with his defense if you wanted to get exposure to both of them anyways. So let me explain why a quarterback and their wide receiver one is the best case scenario for stacks. In my data, games where quarterbacks score 25 or more points, the wide receiver ones are the clear beneficiaries, averaging more than 25 or more points themselves almost half the time. These point totals far surpass the odds of any other player you could stack with the quarterback. Running back one, wide receiver two, and tight end one see around the same percentage of 25 point games when their quarterback eclipses the 25 point mark. So here are some tips for stacking your lineups. First, check the Vegas implied team totals for the week and narrow down five of the best passing offense amongst the highest projected games of the week. Two, calculate the five salary combinations of the wide receiver one and their quarterback. Now multiply the total salaries by five. Replace the comma with a decimal. This is the point total you will need to hit for tournament winning value. Then determine what scenarios would have to happen for your stack to reach five times their salary. And then lastly, eliminate the two unlikeliest scenarios of reaching value to narrow your list down to three stacks. If you wanna get even more contrarian, try to use a stack that most of the industry isn't talking about for the week. So last week for us, it was Deshaun Jackson and Carson Wentz and I almost had another in Lamar Jackson and Hollywood Brown, but I subbed Brown for Miles Boykin at roster lock, costing me quite a bit of money. So with stacking in mind, let's look at week two in DFS and see if we can win some money this week. Let's review week one. Of the top five highest scores on FanDuel, I discussed Lamar Jackson, who finished as the top quarterback of the week. I also mentioned Stafford as a tournament dart throw versus the Cardinals defense. He finished third with 27.6 points, and Wentz finished sixth with 25.2. I mentioned that stacking him with DJX could pay off, and it certainly did. Now, I failed to mention Dak Prescott, who finished second, Patrick Mahomes, who finished fourth, and Case Keenum, who finished fifth. And I wasn't sure how the Cowboys were going to approach the game with Zeke, so I felt it was risky to recommend Dak, and Mahomes was just too expensive for my builds. For wide receivers, Sammy Watkins, Deshaun Jackson, John Ross, Hollywood Brown, and T.Y. Hill, who I did mention stacking with Brissett. Let me remind you to never chase box scores. Week one is typically when secondaries have communication breakdowns leading to big plays. There's a reason why Terry McLaurin, Hollywood Brown, John Ross, DJ Shark had huge games. 
that should revert back to the norm with defenses improving as the season progresses. Now running backs, I only had one guy in my core that finished in the top five, and that was Dalvin Cook. The other two guys I loved, Leonard Fournette and Nick Chubb, both had bad runs. But like I mentioned last week, trust your process, not the results. Again, things will revert to the norm, so trust your process. The other top four backs were Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler, Derrick Henry, and Marlon Mack. Now, tight ends, Evan Ingram was the top tight end, and I discussed him last week. The other top five I did not roster, TJ Hawkinson, Mark Andrews, Delaney Walker, and Vernon Davis. Now, the tight ends that I did recommend, George Kittle, he had two touchdowns called back, and Travis Kelsey lost an easy one because Mahomes was trying to be cute, and I'll talk about that a little more when we go through the tight end picks. The defenses I picked, the Ravens finished fifth, and I mentioned stacking them with Mark Ingram was a good idea. Better stacks would have been Derrick Henry and the Titans, which put up 23 points, or Dalvin Cook and the Vikings, who put up 16 points. So I'm happy with the results. For the most part, the core was a good one. I'll try to tighten it up for week two, so let's get started. Starting at quarterback, I'm talking about my small core of players that we can build around. Here are the ones I feel can have the best return on investment for the week. Now, if you're building a cash lineup, quarterback ceiling is very important because you want to score as many safe points as you can. When you enter tournaments, salary comes into play and cheaper quarterbacks that will produce allow you to add more expensive pieces to create a contrarian lineup compared to the field. So the first quarterback I'll talk about is Josh Allen. The Giants seem to have one of the softer pass rush units in the league and the secondary can hang with the receivers very well. In 2018, the Giants ran mostly man-to-man defensive coverages, which creates opportunities for scrambling quarterbacks and allow to quickly identify the open receivers. I think Josh Allen will be around 4% owned in tournaments, and I think he has a safe floor with a high ceiling, which is a good combination for cash game contests. Jared Goff could be a nice play if Gurley is used as a decoy in this one. It could be a shootout as Vegas thinks this could surpass 50 points versus the Saints. New Orleans is ranked 32nd against the pass, and Goff's price dropped $200 from last week down to $7,600, and my expected ownership is around 9% as it was last week. Lamar Jackson is another quarterback I like. I mentioned last week he may have been the cheapest we see him all year, and this week he's up $800 to $8,200 and the third most expensive quarterback on the slate. There will be opportunities for Lamar this week once again. The biggest concern I have, though, is that the running backs get the touchdowns. But even in that scenario, Lamar should be able to do enough to put your rosters in contention. I think his tournament ownership will be around 14%. And lastly, Big Ben could be a dart throw. Playing at home versus Seattle secondary and being priced at 7600 Ben is likely to see less than 5% ownership in tournaments. And stacking Ben with Juju and J-Dub could be sneaky. I'm not taking my guy Kyler this week as I expect the Ravens to use a lot of the clock by running the football. But get excited because the Cardinals' next five matchups are against the Panthers, Seahawks, Bengals, Falcons, and Giants. Now one thing to keep an eye on is that the Ravens' top two corners are out this week. So if the Vegas total starts rising from 46.5, I may rethink my stance on this game. Let's go to running backs. As I mentioned last week, I want to target backs that have little competition for carries when the prices work. There is one running back I love this week and a few others I really like, so let's start with the top and a possible lock for me, and that's Saquon Barkley. Barkley should be the focal point of the Giants' offense this week, as the best way to attack the Bills is on the ground. Now, Barkley was pulled last week when the Giants were down by 20, but this game should be much closer than last week. Last year, I won 80% of my weeks on Fandle with the strategy of rostering three bell cow running backs every week. And this week, Saquon has a high floor and a high ceiling, and you can play him in all formats. Barkley should be around 13% owned in tournaments. 
Alvin Kamara, the highest implied total of the week at 53 points. The Rams have a pretty soft defense between the 20s and really only tighten up in the red zone. Kamara is going to be involved in both areas of the offense and his pass game role is what really gives him a high floor in this spot. As always, Kamara is a slightly higher risk play at $8,700 price tag. He needs to be efficient to hit his ceiling, but his ceiling is high enough to keep him in the conversation in all formats. Kamara's touches are too low for him to be a cash game lock, but the chances of a dud are slim, and his upside is high enough that I'm comfortable rolling him out in all formats this week. Austin Eckler plays at the Detroit Lions this week and has a salary of $7,500. He played 48 snaps last week compared to Justin Jackson's 16. Now, the Lions are one of the better run defenses in the NFL, but almost all of their run-stopping production comes from the middle, where Snacks Harrison presents a big obstacle. However, Eckler's roll on the ground and through the air give him a pretty high floor. My only hesitation on rostering Eckler is that we don't get a PPR bonus on Fandle as you do on DraftKings. Eckler should see around 17% ownership in tournaments. Matt Breda. Last week, the Bengals defense allowed 80 yards and two touchdowns to Chris Carson whose strengths didn't even exploit the Bengals' true weakness on defense, and that's their linebackers. The Bengals try to deploy a five-lineman set, hoping to prevent Carson from getting to the second level and exposing their true deficiency at linebacker. This approach won't be effective against the 49ers, as Breda's game is built on getting to the edge in the 49ers' zone rushing scheme. Breda should be able to take advantage of the Bengals' major weakness at linebacker by getting to the outside and quickly to the second level. The Bengals did a great job double-teaming Lockett last week to take him out of the game, and I think this week the Bengals focus on trying to take Kittle out of the game, and that's going to create a great opportunity for Breda. Breda's price tag is merely $5,600, and I think his ownership hovers around 5% in tournaments. If Joe Mixon is ruled out shortly before game time, try and sub Gio Bernard in your lineups. He will get bell cow usage at only $5,700 on FanDuel. And I will be fading Zeke this week, and I hope he underperforms, as I want lower ownership next week when they play the Miami Dolphins. Wide receivers. Juju Smith-Schuster is a very strong DFS play this week. I think he's one of the only players who's likely a scenario is seeing double-digit targets this week. He gets the same Seahawks team that Andy Dalton just torched for 418 yards and two touchdowns. The Steelers will be playing at home where Big Ben is a much more efficient quarterback. And Seattle's pass defense is ranked 19th after one game and they run a majority of zone-heavy schemes that typically allow Juju to find the open space in the field. It's going to be hard for me not to lock Juju in my lineups, but I think he'll be heavily owned, most likely around 20% in tournaments. Keenan Allen is another wide receiver I'm going to have a hard time not locking into my lineups. Hunter Henry is out and Mike Williams is doubtful. That leaves Allen to eat in this matchup. The Chargers offense should center around Keenan and Austin Eckler. And Allen has seven games in the last two seasons in which he's seen 12 or more targets. And history shows us that Phillip Rivers doesn't mind leaning on his favorite wide receiver when they're short, healthy bodies. The last time Keenan Allen played this same opponent in the Detroit Lions, he had 15 catches for 166 yards. Now, Keenan's not a burner and typically stays close to the line of scrimmage, but the volume should be there, and the more volume he sees, the better chance we see a touchdown from him. Keenan's price tag is my only drawback, and depending on construction, he may be on the outside looking in. He's 7,700, and ownership should be around 18%. I'm going to recommend the Rams trio again this week. The Saints sport the league's worst passing defense after allowing 268 yards and three touchdowns to Deshaun Watson. If you don't think Gurley sees an increase from his 15 touches last week, you should target the Rams trio of wide receivers as we did last week. For cash games, we are betting on the floor and hoping for the ceiling. 
and last week I predicted Cup to be the leader of this trio, but he finished just behind Robert Woods. This week I'd bet that Brandon Cooks has the likeliest path to success when you compare his home and road splits, plus the narrative of facing his former team. At home, Cooks averages 7 more PPR points per game, 3 more targets and catches at home, and averages 30 more yards receiving at home versus the road. Tyrell Williams Because FanDuel releases the weekly salaries before Monday night game, you won't see any adjustment on the Raiders players, which makes Williams a great play in a projected high-scoring game. The only receivers behind Tyrell are Hunter Renfro and Ryan Grant. So even if the Chiefs try to completely take Williams out of the game, the volume is sure to be there in a game in which Carr will have to throw more than 25 times. I see two scenarios for this game playing out. The first is the Raiders get waxed early, which opens up an easy garbage time production for Williams. Or that the Chiefs have a lot of points and the Raiders keep pace, which means Williams should be certainly involved in the scoring. And one last dart throw is Allen Robinson. He's the player on the Bears likeliest to see a big workload. He's really no match for the Broncos cornerbacks, and it's a matchup that Matt Nagy could look to exploit. Robinson had 13 targets in Week 1 versus the Packers, and if he manages to see that again and catches half of those, he could amass 100 yards and a score in this game. He will be less than 3% owned. I'm not recommending Sammy Watkins this week, so let me explain why. In tournaments, it's an easy choice to fade because he will be the highest owned receiver on the slate. But in cash games where ownership doesn't matter, this could cost me all my bankroll or double my bankroll depending on the outcome. Remember, you have to trust your process and my process tells me to fade. You need to decide how you want to proceed with Sammy this week. The reason I am most likely off Sammy and heavy on Kelsey this week is because of the presence of Raiders defensive coordinator Paul Gunther. Last year when the industry thought Tyreek Hill would steamroll the Raiders, Gunther game plan to stop him and Hill finished the game with one catch for 13 yards. Now Hill is out so Sammy Watkins becomes the number one on the offense and I still think Andy Reid schemes ways to get him the ball so he could finish with a nice floor but I'm not convinced he reaches the ceiling that some of the higher priced receivers may hit. I think there are plenty of ways to spend salary this week for upside so I'll try to lock in safer plays and I'll avoid the risk that Sammy may bring this week. A pivot off Sammy in tournaments could be Cole Hardman who played 78% of the offensive snaps last week. If the Raiders defense bottles up Sammy, Hardman could break a long one at about half the ownership of Sammy Watkins. Tight ends. There's only three tight ends I'm considering this week, but most likely just locking one into my lineup, and that's Travis Kelsey. Now, when you develop your process, it doesn't just have to be stats and analytics. It can also be coach speak or player speak. And the reason I'm high on Kelsey this year is not because of the matchup, but simply what happened last week. So if you want to disregard the suggestion, I get it. But last week, if you missed it, Travis Kelsey ran an out route in the end zone and was wide open for an easy six. Mahomes saw this, and it was so wide open that Mahomes attempted another of his no-look passes to Kelsey. This time, though, the ball sailed right over Kelsey's head. Afterward, Mahomes said he owed Kelsey for that mistake. Now, being a former quarterback myself, I understand the bond that develops between quarterbacks and their teammates. I would not be surprised at the least if Mahomes tries to get Kelsey multiple touchdowns this week as a payback for last week's mistake. Again, I have no stats to back this up, just strictly a gut call. I may even build my lineup starting with Kelsey though, that's how strong I feel about this play. But I have two cheaper tight ends that you can play that could also have a big game. And one is TJ Hawkinson. Last week, Matt Stafford threw 45 passes. Now that's unlikely to happen again as the Chargers won't play at the same pace as the Cardinals, but with a Vegas implied total of 48 points, the Lions will need to score. 
This could provide a path to Hawkinson seeing 6-8 targets as a focal point in what may be a slower paced game. Another bonus for Hawkinson is the Chargers are playing without Pro Bowl safety Derwin James. This should allow Hawkinson's talent level to create a large mismatch versus the Chargers defense. Hawkinson is also $2,000 cheaper than Kelsey and should see around 6% ownership. Darren Waller is the third tight end. As I mentioned earlier, the Raiders' salaries create an opportunity for us to take advantage of pure value. Now, Waller was hyped all preseason, and instead of overreacting after week one results, we want to confirm things that we were hearing during camp. Darren Waller definitely confirmed all the reports that were saying about him during the offseason. He played almost every snap Monday night versus the Broncos and ended with seven catches off eight targets for 70 yards. Waller is a safe bet for a high floor this week given what should be locked in volume as the Raiders chase points. Waller should be viewed as the Raiders' number two receiver that lines up at tight end to create mismatches. The Chiefs present the weakest defense versus tight ends in the league, matched with the highest implied total by Vegas at 53 points. Try not to outsmart the field here. Waller will only cost you $5,400. I expect him to only be owned in about 20% of tournaments. I may enter two lineups this week using both Waller and Kelsey, or using Waller as my flex option on Fandle. Defenses you want to target for sacks and turnovers. Touchdowns are a bonus. The three I like this week are Patriots versus Josh Rosen and the Dolphins, who are the 27th ranked offense. The Bears versus Joe Flacco and the Broncos and their 13th ranked offense. And Houston at home versus the 28th ranked Jags and their new starting quarterback, the chosen one, Gardner Minshew. So there you have it, week two DFS. There are guys I didn't mention, but I gave you some of my core plays. Please let me know how you do if you play any of these picks. Hit me up on Twitter, at Lounge and subscribe and review to this podcast. I want to hear from all of you. Thanks for the listen, and good luck this weekend. This has been Roto Lounge.